Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about how to know when it's time to innovate. Mm. Let's start off by uh, maybe defining the word innovate a little bit more specifically than the general use. Because I think for our folks, uh, it's, uh, it's a little different than, say, if you're SpaceX and you need to figure out how to land a rocket on its fins. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're not really talking about conventional products or R&D in the conventional sense. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about here is more along the lines of, you know, something something doesn't seem right. Business seems like it's not growing, whatever that means for you. And it seems like it's maybe because things are stale and you need to shake something up and, you know, get back to that feeling of growth or progress or whatever the KPIs are that you care about. And we get those numbers moving again. It's always nervous when I see, I, I always get nervous when I see like my, my main KPI is like email subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And when I see the, you know, new subscribers per day, like flatten out for a week or something, I'm like, mm-hmm. start to get itchy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> get twitchy. Right, right. Well, I also think there's, you know, innovation to you and there's innovation to, you know, your industry or your niche or your specialty. It's sometimes, and those are both equally valid, right? Because mm-hmm. we can create something new for ourselves that somebody else wouldn't describe as innovation, but very much feels like it to us. Yes. So if you're, if it hasn't happened in the pond that you're in, if you're the first one to bring it to the pond, it might as well be it's going to have the same effect, even if you, it was not invented by you. Yes. So for, you know, example for me and, you know, I got permission to do it, but I wholeheartedly copied the um, structure of Seth Godin's online Akimbo workshops, the way he does it with like uh, a live community with regular recorded videos. And obviously my content's totally different, but uh, so it, it, when I first saw it, to me, it was an innovative way to deliver an online educational experience. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, is it okay if I do that too? And he was like, sure, go for it. <laughs> so when I did it, it's, it was innovative to the people who are experiencing it for the first time. But that is different than kind of like um, industrial revolution style innovation where the the whole world is the market. Like, I feel like that's where you you've the word is used most commonly where like the iPhone was innovative and it dominated the world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't need to, so yeah, I guess the point here is that I don't think you need to put too much pressure on yourself to be like, wow, I have to come up with something globally novel to shake things up. You really don't. You just need to be novel in your pool or even to you, you or just you or your audience. And, uh, and, and that counts as far as I'm concerned. Well, yeah. And, you know, we didn't talk about this before we started recording, but that's part of the definition of authority, right? If you're building authority in a space, you do want to keep looking for new things, the things that, and it might just be a point of view about something that nobody else shares, but that feels innovative in your pond. Yeah. Like a major insight that you then turned into a book or a product line or a course or something like that. I would count that exactly. for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of resting on your laurels. I feel like that's the opposite mm-hmm. where I certainly did that. Uh, it was around 2012 ish where I had another book deal and it was like, ugh, I wasn't feeling it. And I, you know, <laughs> listen I to yourself. I had another book deal and I wasn't feeling it. I love it. I love well, it. Well, it was just like, it was the, 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 it would just, I wasn't feeling it. It yeah, wasn't right. I get it. And so I, I gave him the advance back. I said, never mind. Uh, 
And, and then I didn't write another book for a while. And I was still in the tech space and I was still in the mobile space, which was no longer like, um, you know, I was no longer way ahead of the curve because, mm. you know, everybody else kind of caught up, which we're going to talk about. And I didn't, uh, I didn't go hard to the next thing when I, I really should have. Like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to stop writing books and stop speaking at conferences. And I'm sure I'll keep on getting like multiple leads from Fortune 500 companies per week. Mm. No, not so much. So, uh, yeah, so it, maybe you could look at it as, you know, dear listener, as the opposite of resting on your laurels and just being like, wow, look, my numbers aren't better than last year, whatever your numbers are. Cool. Okay. So like, what would be a warning sign to you that it's time to innovate? Well, the one I, I've seen more than a few times is, is somebody that has typically a small firm, a boutique firm, and, and they were a leading edge at something. Usually it has some technology aspect to it. And then what happens, and it's slow, it's like insidious, is that the rest of the industry has caught up to you. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize it because it happens very slowly. Like all of a sudden you're getting more competition on proposals or you're not the automatic yes that you used to be. So it's that whatever you were leading with is now accepted. You're not having to sell this concept to people anymore, which means lots of other competitors have entered your space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I want to pile on there to tell the story that happened to me, which I think is interesting because the competitors didn't look like me. So it was it was almost more like alternatives than competitors. Mm. So I was super early to the party with responsive web design and essentially making websites work well on mobile phones. So I started immediately in 2007 and didn't stop. Uh, so three years later, 2010, people were starting to be like, even the giants were like, huh, this mobile thing might catch on. <laughs> and the competitors, the sort of things that caught up to me were, I mean, honestly, probably people that read my book or books like it and built the features into platforms like WordPress and Facebook. And, mm-hmm. and every, you know, I remember it was big news. Facebook was, you know, Zuck was like, uh, starting today, we are a mobile first company, figured out and like desktop site doesn't matter anymore. And which was crazy because that was the whole product at the time. It seemed mm-hmm. crazy, but point is that uh, platforms, a lot of the expertise that myself and a few other people were surfacing back then for the first time, we just got built in. So we got the value of our input was a lot lower because you got it for free with whatever platform you're using in most cases. And then the other and the other end of the spectrum was the big players were like, Oh, there's money here. So the Deloitte's and uh, SAP mm-hmm. and Oracle and Sales, uh, it wasn't Salesforce, but anyway, the big, huge players uh, started to have mobile consulting practice. And, and uh, you, no one would confuse me with WordPress or Deloitte, <laughs> <laughs> but, but those, that's where all the work started going. Uh, and I don't know if this is a different sign or if it's related to this one, but the other thing that happened was that the early adopters were done. Like they figured it out, they hired me, but, and, and so we got to that crossing the chasm part where the SAPs of the world are the ones that crossed the chasm and I stayed behind like, like where, where are my early adopters at? And it's like, we're all set. Yeah, <laughs> we did we're it done. Already. Yeah. So the, the sort of, uh, top of the bell curve, if you want to call it that, the, the, the mainstream business buyer of mobile consulting services, uh, they were 
you know, they're more risk averse. You got to really prove it to them. And they are going to go with the the big, you know, deep bench, mm-hmm. expensive, known consulting brands for that kind of assistance. So wait, I just want to make sure I understand. So when you are out there, you know, speaking, writing books, were you doing that as a strategy, well, in a strategic sense, versus were you actually creating some of those sites? So was it all that you were being the expert about, it needs to get done, these are the principles, or did you also have a practice where you actually built some of these? Uh, the former. Okay. I, I didn't build them. Okay, because that's also stuff. what I what I hear yeah. in that distinction is, you know, you were an early voice saying this has to get done, this has to get done. So you attract a tribe that loves that message. Yep. You help them to work it through. And as you pointed out, they're done. And so I'm sure you weren't as interested in crossing the chasm, right? Because then it's more about execution than about introducing people to a new strategy, a new idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another, I mean, I just, it's a subtext here, but you're also following what you're good at, right? Your personal genius. If you were there executing, you wouldn't have been happy. No, that was, it it was, it's fun, you know, but there's a distinction between coding for money and coding for fun or like making Mm -hmm. sample files for, you know, a React course or like, yeah, that's, so I was still coding to keep myself familiar with the technologies and understand what's going on, but I wasn't doing it for clients. Yeah. So your role was different. I I just wanted to point that out for the audience because there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways you can, you can do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was the, uh, so that was competitors kind of caught up to you like, and, and without you really knowing, because you're not, you're probably not out there like checking out what your competitors are doing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, why would you? You get the way you get that message is that your sales go down, your leads go down. And you start losing deals, like you send a proposal and, and you don't get it. And they go with, they just, just go with something cheap or something just like, a, you know, a, a, a whale, like a giant known brand. That's, or something that's, you never thought of as a competitor. That yeah, can exactly. happen too. Right. Yeah. Okay. So another, a sign for me, and I, I alluded to it already, is if the audience growth has plateaued. Mm. And, and this this is pretty common with folks who kind of follow the path that I recommend because I'm really, really big on starting a small fire and like letting it, you know, slowly letting it spread instead of trying to like set an entire like tree, you know, like a log, a fallen log on fire with like a magnifying glass. You can't do that. It doesn't work. So you got to get individual people, like small little, little tinders, sort of like campfire approach and focus your energy the magnifying glass, start a little fire, then carefully add people to it so it starts to spread on its own. To me, that's that's my favorite approach mm-hmm. versus, you know, like Super Bowl ads and billboards and a mass market approach. So what ends up happening is when that works, you become a big fish in a small pond and you become the go-to person for a particular thing. And now you're too big for the pond or like everybody in the pond. It's not that you're too big for it. It's that everybody knows. So you've got you've got that whole audience. So that's, and in, if you're on my mailing list or you've listened to other podcasts, uh, I don't, we don't usually talk about what to do when that happens. Cause it's like, it's usually the phase before that where it's like pick a small pond and get in there mm-hmm. and become a big fish. Like, okay, then what? Well, you know, when you, you got there, when you see it could, it could be that you've got everybody in the pond. Maybe there's only 10,000 people in the pond. It's totally possible. And they're all on your list. So they've all, they've seen all your offers. They bought what they're going to buy. 
and it, it sort of peaks out there. So for me, that's a, that's a mailing list thing. So I can see it pretty clearly. That's really the only number I track. I mean, revenue and 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 it's, it's list really growth. interesting though because. Like, how do you, I mean, you know, when it plateaus from a number standpoint, but it's like, how do you decide that that's all there is versus there is a pivot somewhere? Mm. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of the challenge. So for me, so, and I think this would be true for other people. I've heard, I've heard the similar story from other people. If you, I know there's more growth with the existing ideas and even products because when I go on someone else's show and they have a huge audience, I get a massive influx of, mm-hmm. of signups and sales. So I know that there are other audiences out there that are other, other small ponds that are out there that just haven't heard. You know, it, it's like um, whenever that happens, I'm like, oh, wow. Like I went on, you know, Chris Doe, we've had him on the show. I went on his YouTube live stream a couple times and it like doubled my list, you know. So it's it's totally... To me, that's a sign, you know, if you, so if you have some kind of indication like that, where you cross over to someone else's audience, because he's all about uh, creatives and design people, mm-hmm. which had never been my focus. That was certainly not, you know, my focus was always software developers. And there's, there's um, a lot of overlap in terms of how they would run their businesses. And there's a lot of overlap in, in terms of them knowing each other. They're very different kinds of people usually, but um, so it was just like a different kind of audience. And it's like, oh, the message resonates in this small pond too. And then, then it's like, okay, where are the other small ponds? And how do I jump into landscape architects and lawyers and so on and so forth? That becomes your innovation, really. Exactly. Your innovation in that example is leveraging other people's platforms. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And until you try it, and you probably tried it many times before, I mean, Christo's audience is very specific. I could see them just jumping on this right mm-hmm. um so yeah you might have to experiment a little bit before you um decide that your your plateau is a permanent plateau mm-hmm. yeah exactly and you're right the innovation is like trying to reach a different audience and for folks who listen to me beating the drum about you know laser focus laser focus laser focus once the fire is going and you're sure it's you're like oh okay i'm, I'm over the rubbing two sticks together smoke phase and now there's a little bit of fire. I've got, oh, I've got like a going concern. You know, I've got mm-hmm. little bits of feeling, but the fire is still only this big. What if it was 10 times as big? How would I do that? And that can mean go, reaching to another target market, you know, having a different ideal buyer and an additional ideal buyer. Maybe you broaden your focus at that point to throw more people into the throw more people into the fire (laughs) (laughs) metaphor breaks down pretty quick but the key is that you don't do it too early right because if you're really growing slow and you've got 50 people and then you get 100 and then you get 150 you're like oops guess i better open up my market no not yet (laughs) not yet if you're if you're plateauing at 150 people because that's all the people in that niche you've chosen the wrong niche yeah Uh, yeah i think it's in the thousands Mm mm-hmm forever i was like right around six thousand subscribers it felt like forever it really wasn't but it was like what i need to do something right so i could feel i needed to do something and um you know started guesting on other people's shows and before you know it ten thousand. so it's like oh okay yeah yeah it's like you're you're you know part of innovation i think is you're testing the premise that you already have and you're saying where can it be better where can i creatively improve this yep okay so here's here's a related one um, sales have plateaued. Yeah. So 
I have, I've seen, like I said, the two numbers I track are revenue and list growth. Mm-hmm. They can be related, but they're not necessarily. So like I can have a, a phase where uh, I get a lot of list growth, but really doesn't affect revenue. And an example of that might be, I think a year or two ago, I experimented with like Facebook ads and Facebook ads get you signups. Like, you know, I would advertise like a piece of content and they, you know, it'd be free and they'd go to it. And then like, there'd be a sign up for my mailing list. And, and I found that those types of leads, and this is not scientific, but it, it just felt like, oh, I, I got all, wow, these ads are really working. I'm going to sell a bunch of books. And then you don't. Yes. And it's I've like. heard that a lot uh, with Facebook ads. You get them to sign up, but then they just kind of sit there. Yeah. They're just not, it, it's just, and you know, if you just think about it, the difference between someone saying, hey, you got to sign up for this guy's list versus you saw a Facebook ad while you're looking at pictures of kittens <laughs> is just completely different level of, of intent and enrollment. You didn't have someone personally recommend that you do this. You know, so it makes sense where it's like, yeah, I could I could probably grow the list by paying for Facebook ads. But what would be the point of that if nobody's really in the mood to change their mind about anything? Uh, they're not even freelancing or, you know, they're not even billing themselves out by the hour doing something. Just be like the wrong people. Mm-hmm. So when you, when I have seen, see, I notice that different activities will move the numbers differently. So when I have a, like a scenario where sales feel kind of static or repetitive, or I'm like tracking almost identical to the previous year or something like that, that's when I feel the need for more of what I would call product innovation. So less about trying to reach more people to grow the audience or mm-hmm. reach someone else's audience. And more like I need to shake things up for the call them the converted, like the people that are already yeah. on the list. The people that are there. Mm-hmm. So it would be something like a new challenge, a new course, a new, uh, a, a brand new idea, mm-hmm. um, a, a new packaging of something else. And like I did, a, I did some of this, I think probably everybody did some of this uh, when COVID hit because it was like, okay, anything yeah. that had a live event component to it needs to go on, become digital now somehow. So that's yeah. like, got to change the mechanics of it, probably changing the price. So you could innovate uh, in the product space or productized service, you know, create a new productized service based on some feedback that you've been getting from people. So I would, so I'm like, ah, doesn't seem, sales seem to be flat and they've been flat for a month or two. It's like, ah, okay, let me look back. What are, what are the ideas that people have been sending me? And then test an idea. We did a show. I think the name of the show is test with a tweet. Oh yeah. (laughs) Paul Jarvis. He mentioned it and said we did a show on it. Yep, exactly. So, And I just had someone do this. Like uh, a, a friend actually did both of these things. They they borrowed an audience and they're innovating with a product idea where uh, this might be inspiring. So, so I'm on a mailing list of someone who's sort of like us, you know, has an audience, sells stuff online. And uh, one of his students had an idea for a new product. So the student created just a Google Doc with like, um, you know, I had one image and it was like a logo for the thing at the top. Mm-hmm. It was just a Google doc of like a sales page or a rough sales page. Like, here's who this is for. Here's the problem it solves. Here's how it works. Uh, here's the deal. You know what I mean? Right. And he's like, I'm looking for three people. Uh, it will be, it won't cost any money, but the deal is uh, if you like it, you'll give me a testimonial, a couple of other things, a video testimonial and uh, you'll tell me what you liked about it, what you didn't like. You know, told, we've talked about this before, yeah. beta, pet, beta testing an idea. And told the person I know, and he said, oh, I'll share it on my list. So he shared it on his list. So with basically with the effort of 
like thinking the hardest part is coming up with the idea really yes deciding what it is and then he just wrote a, a google doc gave it to his teacher essentially and the teacher sent it out to his list and i was like oh this is so cool <laughs> I, I loved it it was a perfect little mechanic that uh i just thought it was amazing but so to me that would be more of a product innovation again we're not making cars here like flying cars but um you know and this is not innovative in the worldwide sense but the service that he was offering, in fact, the service that he was offering wasn't even completely unique. Uh, but it was a great little way to shake things up, get more eyes on his stuff, get some feedback. And I mean, really, it is, I think it is a lot to do with shaking things up, like something different. People are attracted to new. Yeah. Well, and it's also, you know, I think you just made that point. It just doesn't have to be truly, truly new on the planet. It's new to you. It's new to your audience. It's a, it's a, I don't want to say a tweak. Sometimes it's a tweak. Usually it's a little bit more. It might be a a pivot, right? It might be that you have this idea and everybody does it a certain way and then boom. So you saw, you participated in Seth Godin's um, course and you said, oh, that would apply really nicely to pricing. So chances are most of the people in your course had never been through a seminar that was structured that way. So it felt new, it felt fresh, it felt different. That's innovation. It, do, it doesn't have to be the, you know, the be all end all, just that you're trying something new because of a sign that you're seeing in your business or in the market, which I guess sort of brings us to the next point, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So the next one I've written down, I think it's the one you're thinking of, which is what if there is a sea change in your industry or in the world, um, maybe some new regulation cannabis is legalized nationally in the u.s something like that oh good example yeah covid everybody shut down (laughs) nobody's going outside um yeah but it can also be something that's in your industry you know whether it's uh you know new software or uh you know some big kahuna company coming in and and doing offering something you did in a different way like software as service when, you know, when we really start to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, it's funny that that was an innovation. Yeah. It seems so normal now, but yeah. I, I was thinking of that um, yesterday because my, uh, my business credit card was compromised. So I had to go into everybody I pay and put the new number in. Mm. There's a lot of services that I buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things we used to just buy as software. And mm-hmm. spend, you know, $300 or $500 and now we spend a monthly subscription fee. Totally mm-hmm. abandoned. Yeah, right, right. And, you know, I guess we don't need to go into like how that, you know, like Adobe and uh, Netflix versus Blockbuster and like all of that stuff. Like, yeah. Um, and so this is, so I don't know if you could kind of, I don't know which category to put, bucket to put this in, but I think it's fair to call a, a pricing model change an innovation. Yes. Yeah, so in the classic one, it seems to be a tr- more than a trend. There's a lot of uh, a lot more of is cropping up, and it seems to have legs uh, somehow switching to a subscription model, mm-hmm. and it's it's very interesting. And I think we talked about this with uh, was it Joe Pine talking about subscription model? I talked to him about it. I don't know if it was on the show. Uh, Ron Baker also, but the idea of selling access to something on a subscription basis, it seems to have traction in. A, Anyway, I, I guess we don't need to go in at the for the sh- purpose of the show. The point is, maybe you maybe your innovation is that instead of selling, um, I don't know, one on one coaching calls for five hundred bucks, 
you you give access to um, a group coaching experience for 99 bucks a month or you put together mastermind pods that are $5,000 each for senior executives uh, who are interested in, I don't know, blockchain or you know, name your thing, right. uh, but are from Specialty. different industries, right? So it's like senior VPs or, or higher from industries that are all different and they're going to get together and see like, okay, let's, let's put our heads together. But anyway, you could pay, you could have people pay to be part of these little mastermind pods and that would be like, oh, okay. So, I mean, it's basically now you're doing a group consulting thing or it's really facilitation around your area of expertise. Right. And it's it's it can be part of the natural progression of your business, right? Because you might start doing a lot of execution and then you sort of move into more strategic kinds of things. And then as you've seen a lot of whatever it is that you do, you're at the point where you can, you can coach or lead or facilitate um, execs through this process. So it's a, it's also a way of looking at how you best leverage your time and your expertise. The more clients you've worked with over the course of your career, the more problems you've seen and the more solutions you've come up with. And probably, not necessarily, but probably the more advisory role you've taken. And that advisory role has value to the right audience. Right. So if you are not paying attention, you might miss that opportunity. You know, either you're getting dissatisfied with the more hands-on work or it's not selling as well. People aren't as interested in it. Or you're getting a lot of downward price pressure because competitors are doing it for cheap. And you're just like, oh, woe is me. Everyone caught up. Now I'm back as just one of the crowd. Well, if you keep your eyes open, you probably can look around and see some way to go up, which is mm -hmm. what Rochelle is saying, like move your out, yep. increase your altitude yep. and go higher up more advisory or strategic and create a new product offering. Yeah. I mean, it's really understanding what you do well. Um, I was just talking to somebody the other day who's a writer and she just, she isn't a writer, like with a capital W. It's She has several streams of income and she decided she would do more writing during COVID because her mainstream was interrupted. So she's writing for a website and she's getting 50 bucks an hour. And she said, but I'm so fast. And I know, Jonathan, don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Um, so um, when you think about that, um, her $50 an hour, we, we had a five-minute conversation, and all of a sudden, she's like, oh, yeah, not only am I not charging by the hour, I need to base this on my expertise, not I'm just somebody who can take this one idea and churn it out in, you know, in a half an hour or 45 minutes. It's really, you know, it's understanding what your value is and finding a way finding the market who's going to pay you for that. Yes, yes, yes. And when and there is a big sea change like COVID that you just mentioned or some new regulation or shifting attitudes about ownership and the desire to rent or borrow or share things instead of own them. Mm -hmm. If you're paying attention, then you can you can I mean, there's a bunch of things you can do. You might have a truly innovative idea that is still in your wheelhouse that you can execute against. Another thing that I see a lot of people doing successfully is when one of these things happens, they talk about it, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean, it's almost like it, it, it works its way into the content marketing and it, and the, the thought leader or authority will kind of like help the audience digest what's going on 
from their perspective, but they're not fundamentally changing any of their products or what they do, or maybe even how they price them, but they're just kind of riding the wave of publicity of the thing and like what's top of mind for people. And you saw, I mean, I saw a lot of people doing this during the, the beginnings of the pandemic where, you know, every, every really good kind of info product marketer that I'm on their list, everybody was talking about it, but it was in the context of um, how it would affect the particular target market, the particular right. type of audience. Right. So it was, uh, and this is, this actually reminds me of, geez, what was that service called? It was like, um, it was like a matchmaking service between experts and writers it had a funny name. It was like news, news, why or whatever, prof Newsnet or something. And hmm. yeah, there was, so it was kind of like journalists would reach out. They'd be looking for somebody who was an expert on weight loss. Oh, oh, Harrow. Help a yeah, reporter yeah, yeah. out. Yeah. They bought the one that I used, which was before that. But anyway. Um, same same thing, but in the onboarding, when you sign up as an expert, they they uh, give you like a, some advice about how to write for mainstream media. And one of the things was, no matter what the topic of the day is, make it about the thing that you do. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> so if if you're a pricing expert and the the current craze is I don't know fidget spinners, mm-hmm. talk about the price of fidget spinners. Yeah. And how the price will it'll crash. It has to crash because the market's going to be flooded and all this stuff. But it's right. so ostensibly the article is about fidget spinners, but you're talking about pricing. So you get you show up in the Wall Street Journal or whatever as like this pricing expert, and you happen to be talking about fidget spinners, but that's not the point. That's how you get in. Mm-hmm. Is you have to talk about the fidget spinners to get in, and then right. you get to talk about your thing or present yourself as an expert on the on the angle that you're interested in. Right. So if, yeah. So find your angle into whatever people are talking about. So it's like finding your way into a conversation, but in a, at a media level. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know that's media one hundred and one. If you if you want to get into mainstream media, it's different if you're talking about niche publications and bloggers. But sure, trade journals. Yeah. It has to relate to what people care about. I mean, right now, if you don't want to talk about COVID, the economy. Black Lives Matter, it's really hard to get an editor of mainstream media interested. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are those are the three hot topics right now. Mm. And there's always something. I mean, there's always whatever's top of mind is what you want to to talk about relative to your expertise. Right. So the point the point being, like, if a sea change is happening, like a big thing is happening, then be aware of it. You know, it's like it it could be an opportunity for you to innovate somewhere in your business. Maybe it's in your content marketing, maybe it's in PR, um, maybe it is an actual innovative product that becomes possible because it, that wasn't possible before or becomes feasible where it wasn't feasible before. You know, like, geez, everybody knows how to use Zoom now. What does that mean? I don't know. Could I teach Zoom classes? Probably. How to podcast over Zoom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, working from home, you know, you can look at what are the trends that come out of whatever big event is happening. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're some kind of an HR expert, how can you tack, you know, tack into the working from home angle? Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not I'm not saying be opportunistic. What I'm saying is I think we're both saying is if there is a, a fit and you're paying attention, that's kind of the thing. It's like paying attention to what's going on around you. And being aware of the market and saying, okay, like, how can I help people who are wrestling with this? Or how does this create a new opportunity for my people that I could kind of 
broadcast to them or share with them or some insight what what does this make possible for them so it yeah yeah it's just like staying in touch with kind of like society and culture and and uh i don't it's i'm trying to talk about it in a way that doesn't sound opportunistic but there but there is an angle of being opportunistic that's not all bad as long as it doesn't pull you off your strategy that's the thing yes yes it can't pull you off your strategy yeah like fidget spinners trying to be like i'm gonna sell fidget spinners on the side (laughs) it's like no that's not how to use the trend the trend is to get yourself well known as a pricing expert not to sell fidget spinners and make a buck you know when i was i was working for a fortune 500 company and um I, i was brought in to turn around this particular business unit that was mostly outplacement right so helping executives who are out of jobs and um as part of that, I did a little study of the industry. It wasn't something I was super familiar with. And, um, and so I, you know, I learned who the big players were. And a, a few months in, I kept noticing one of the players was always in the media. And it was the same guy. And it was a firm that had like three or four names. And he was one of the names. And so he was kind of a legend. And people knew his name. But he was in the media every single day. It didn't wow. matter even whether it was I was in Chicago at the time, he'd be in Chicago. If I was in San Francisco, he'd be in San Francisco. So I finally found out what his secret was. <laughs> so I, I was like, what, how, what is he doing? And he literally would sit at his desk and he would fend media calls because they knew that he, I mean, he'd worked up to this point, but they knew he would have something to say and he would not go anywhere in the morning. It was typically the time that people were the busiest. And he would, in the afternoon, he would float out a few ideas Say, oh, have you thought about this? But he was available. He returned calls immediately or more likely just answered the phone immediately. And all the other firms were these big corporate behemoths. And the people who ran the units didn't make time for media. They had PR departments and they were terrible. Mm-hmm. At answering those kinds of questions, because you don't want you don't want to know what a PR person says. You want to know what the person who's running the business says, right? So this guy was a genius in a very very simple way. Yeah, genius. Answer the phone. Yeah, <laughs> what a concept. That's pretty innovative these days. <laughs> yeah, but, the, but I guess that's kind of my point. Is there's a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, sometimes when you um, when you listen to a podcast and someone will have a guest and you'll, the host will say, well, how do we get in touch with you? Sometimes they'll give a phone number. Wow, I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard a few lately. I'm like, really? I, I found that really impressive. Mm. Now, do they take the calls and talk to them personally? I don't know, but some of them seem to do that. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole anymore. My point is that innovative can have a lot of different meanings. It's just you're doing something that nobody else is doing or in, in, in a way that no one else is doing exactly like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So looking back over the things that we've covered, I feel like I'm getting almost a visual, just a picture in my head of like looking up and looking around, you know, it's like uh, a lot of these have just really have to do with awareness at that when you get one of those signals that something's not growing or you're getting kind of like a, hmm, I wish my numbers are, but you know, like one of those things mm-hmm. instead of just doing what you're doing harder, like, mm. s- like look up and be like, okay, what's going on? And in fact, ideally you'd be in the habit of keeping your head up on a regular basis, you know, like daily or at least weekly, kind of look around, 
be getting input, not just cranking out work. Because I know a lot of people, you know, on my list, probably a lot of people listening to this show, they just get wrapped up in client work and that becomes their whole world until it's over. And now they're like, now what? Oh, yeah. Those are the people where you've got a whale client or a couple and you just, you don't really want to sell. So you don't put your head up because you really don't want to. You want to do the work. Right. And if you land, you don't want to sell in the first place because you think it's sleazy. And then when you land some, a, a client, then you're like, I don't have time to do the work. So why would I market myself? Why would I do sales? Right. I'm just going to do this work. I'm already buried. And then right. it runs out and you're like back where you started. So yeah. anyway, it's like heads up people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, again, it goes back to your business model, but I have a lot of clients whose business model is, you know, they have a service to clients that's very high end. And so they might have you know, two to five clients at any given time, they might work with them for a year to 18 months, but they're always bringing new people on. And the way that they do that is through content, right? It's through content marketing. It's they're, they're writing, they're speaking, they're, and when I say speaking, I'm including podcasting, they're doing videos, you know, they're constantly putting ideas out there so that more clients are in the queue. And, mm-hmm. and in a way, nothing accelerates your value like saying i'd love to work with you um but i'm i won't have an opening for six months and then you're like oh i really want to work with them now (laughs) right they must be really good exactly all right well hopefully this has been helpful dear listener hopefully yes have we got anything else to say on the subject i mean the answer is always yes (laughs) (laughs) yes both of us could probably talk for five more hours on any subject Yeah, I I think the key to to keep in mind is that is think about innovation differently, right? This is this is not about uh, upending your whole world. It's about continually looking for ways to do something different, better, um, faster versus, um, you know, keeping your head down and just working harder. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.